0: I think consistency and the discipline that swimming teaches you is probably the most similar thing to starting any kind of business or organization or really starting anything because when you get started, like you get started in swimming, you're probably not very good at it and you're not going to get better in the short term. So if you think about swimming or any other sport or even learning an instrument, it takes a process and it takes consistency and discipline to do it every day or every other day and to continuously improve upon yourself and in business it's the same thing because you're it's not like this overnight success like there's no such thing welcome to champions mojo weekly podcast where your host kelly palace
1: and maria parker share with you what it takes to be a champion kelly is a former division one head swim coach olympic trials qualifier and holds masters world and national swimming records And Maria holds world records in endurance cycling and was the overall women's winner of the world's toughest bike race, Race Across America. They'll be sharing their personal stories and wisdom, along with interviewing other champions to give you the tools you need for becoming a true champion in your own life. And now, your host, Kelly Pallas.
2: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast. And as usual, I am co-hosting with Maria Parker. Hello, Maria. Hi, Kelly. Maria, you know we're both super excited to speak with our guest today as fellow entrepreneurs. We can't help but get some major wisdom from our guest, who besides being a national champion master swimmer and a certified master's coach, he is a thriving international entrepreneur as the co-founder of My Swim Pro, and he was just selected by Forbes magazine to the prestigious 30 under 30 list for 2020 in the consumer technology category. Yes, it is the brilliant and charismatic Ferris Sabati. But Maria, before we bring Ferris in, can you hit some important background information on
3: Ferris? Sure. I'm really excited to talk with Ferris. He co-founded MySwimPro in 2014, which is it's the number one fitness application to the fastest growing sport in the world, swimming. Since 2014, they've been on a mission to help swimmers of all levels live happier and healthier lives through swimming and growing their company to over 1 million downloads of the My Swim Pro app. So let's get to it, and welcome to the show, Ferris. Welcome, Ferris. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
2: Maria, wouldn't we love 1 million downloads on our podcast?
3: <laughs> well, t- as of today, it's 1 million one. I just downloaded it this oh, morning.
2: okay, great. So, <laughs> woo so, Ferris, um, catch us up on what you are doing now.
0: Yeah, for sure. We have a lot planned for 2020, and I guess uh, the year has already started. So whether it's you know growing our team in the last 12 months, we've doubled in size, building out more media content that you can see on our different social channels, including our YouTube page, and also forming new partnerships. There's a lot of different moving parts, and it's a really exciting time to be growing the sport of swimming and to be in the industry that we're in. And I'm sure we'll dive into a few of those topics.
3: Yeah, tell us first just tell us exactly what the My Swim Pro app does.
0: For sure. The inception for MySwim Pro really came from personal experience for me as a coach and it's delivering that coaching experience to swimmers of any skill level who don't have access to a coach whether they can't afford it, they don't they can't make a masters workout for example. And it, this is mostly adults. We do have age groupers that engage with our platform, but this is really for that, you know, 37-year-old Woman in Southern California who swims three times per week for fitness, or maybe it's a 67 year old, you know, master's swimmer, and they just need a workout to do, a training plan to follow. And you know, that, that was the inception of launching the company is providing that value to those people. And now we've grown to include different wearable applications like the Apple Watch. So you can take a workout from your phone, sync it to the watch. It'll guide you through the workout set by set as if you had a personal coach. And of course, there's analytics so you can track your heart rate. And we have a global community. And we really want to be looked at as the thought leaders in the space for that instructional content. So if you Google search, how do I do a flip turn or how do I improve my freestyle technique or how do I, what is, what does individual medley mean? And, you know, our content, whether it's articles or videos pop up and people can really look at what we've created as a way to learn and improve upon the performance and health.
3: And it's completely not intimidating. I noticed that you know for people who aren't swimmers at all or are just getting back into it, it's very welcoming and easy to use. Uh, but you have more on your mind than just you know selling swim apps, right? You've got you've you've got the the International Swim Day. Tell us about that a little bit.
0: Yes, World Swim Day. This is World uh, Day. this That's is really it. exciting. Uh, so if you just go to you know worldswimday.org is, is where we have the overview, but the inception for this really amplifies what we're trying to do at MySwimPro. It's really empowering people to be in the water, to be active through swimming. And on this day, we it's the fourth Saturday of October, and it's really the whole weekend. It's, it's World Swim Day, but we want people to be active the whole weekend, get involved, get in the water. We have like a workout of the day. We unlock the app for free, and of course, on social media, use the hashtag World Swim Day. And It was really cool to have the backing of FINA and some of the you know, best Olympic swimmers who have hundreds of thousands of followers to use this hashtag and really empower people and recognize that yeah, you're a swimmer, this is great. Well, you're not alone. There's millions of people all over the world who participate in the same thing. Maybe they don't swim 10 times a week like these Olympic stars we see on TV at the Olympics, but if you swim twice a week, once a week, once every other week, if you're getting in the water, we wanna empower people to do that. And at the same time, recognize that not everyone knows how to swim and there's a huge drowning epidemic. And we were able to raise funds for Learn to Swim, whether it's teaching kids or adults how to swim. And I think having a global day Really amplifies what we're all about at MySwimPro, which is helping people improve their performance and health in the
2: water. Absolutely, and as a as a user of the MySwimPro app for many years, like since I think since it very very first came yeah, out. Yeah,
0: rolling back to 2016.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I I told you at nationals, I saw you at nationals, and I just saw your T-shirt MySwimPro. I didn't know who you were or what, but I knew it was the app that I was using. And you know, I'm not a, a type of swimmer that needs my own. I don't need a workout written, but I know if people do, that's great. But I told you it was like entering my swim workout in my Swim Pro app is like brushing my teeth. That it just we we just did a a show on habits and how it really helps you when you enter your workout every day, whether it's a workout that was created by you guys or whether it was a workout that you created on your own or whether it's even just. Even if you just go down to the pool and you swim 20 lengths, you can still put that in the app and it shows you. Then you look back on the whole year and you're like, wow, I have done this. So it is a really simple, really beautiful, you know, this is not a commercial for my swim pro. We just thought you're, um, you know, you have such an exciting business going on and you're such a big part of the swimming community that we had to we had to talk with you so i i'm you know i i'm a big fan of what you're doing from the actual application and i want to get into the actual business side of it so if we have people out there that are you know trying to kitchen table business or starting something so what maybe what techniques do you think you might've learned as a swimmer or things that you learned that you've really applied to make this business just launch?
0: Totally. I think consistency and the discipline that swimming teaches you is probably the most similar thing to starting any kind of business or organization or really starting anything. Because when you get started, like you get started in swimming, you're probably not very good at it. And it, you're not going to get better in the short term. So if you think about swimming or any other sport or even learning an instrument, it takes a process and it takes consistency and discipline to do it every day or every other day and to continuously improve upon yourself. And in business, it's the same thing because you're, it's not like this overnight success. Like There's no such thing. It takes, you know, they quote like a 10-year overnight success or, or whatever. And I think in business and swimming, that's so parallel because when I was swimming, you know, an age group and then in college, you you don't see any results in the short term. It's only after the season or after years. And when I look back now at my swimming, I can think about the workouts that I did and how difficult they were and and how I didn't feel like I was actually getting anywhere in the short term. But in the long term, that's really where, you know, you're putting in you're putting in the groundwork for the future. And I think in swimming you definitely learn that any endurance sport, especially actually because you don't see any short term results, it takes a long time. And in business, it's very similar. So you have to continuously improve upon yourself and learn what was working, what was not working and stick with it, even though it feels like in that six month, one year, three year, even you haven't really done anything. And you haven't seen that kind of big improvement. And there's a quote that Bill Gates uh, says that I use all the time it's that most people overestimate what they can do in one year. And they underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. And I think that's so true in business, in sport, and anything. You know, people have really high ambitions for themselves over a 12-month window, and they want to achieve so much. And they often fall short of what they wanted to do in one year, but they underestimate their ability to perform over a course of a decade. Because if you are consistent, you have like that compounding growth. And so one year becomes two, becomes three. It's not a linear projection. If you are consistent, it compounds. And over 10 years, You have like this exponential potential. And I use the example in swimming uh, when you're speaking with like an athlete-coach relationship because if you take a look at an athlete that's eight years old, they might not be very good, but that same swimmer might be an Olympic gold medalist, world record holder 10 years later. And in a year from age eight to age nine, you're not going to see that much uh, significant improvement. But if that swimmer is motivated and finds that potential within themselves, And they have the right coaching. It's very easy to see them breaking a world record and become the greatest of all time in whatever it is that they're doing over that ten-year window. And I think in business, it's the same thing.
3: That's a really great lesson. But I, my question for you is, how do you stay motivated on year four (laughs) or three? Or you know, what do you do? Because obviously, you have the ten thousand foot view, and now you're really experiencing some success. Um, So, what did you do in the beginning when things weren't all you when you weren't and Forbes magazine?
0: For sure. Yeah. I think there's two parts of that. So the first part is the why behind what you're doing. Um, And I think you have to be really motivated. The motivation comes from your, it's intrinsic. It can't be extrinsic. That's why people who are trying to do something to make a lot of money or they're doing it for someone else, that's really hard to stick with it in year four because you're not intrinsically motivated. So For me, you know, I come from the coaching background. Yes, I like entrepreneurship and I've worked at different startups and learned a lot from those entrepreneurs, but I'm not trying to start a company. I didn't start a company in a space that I wasn't interested in. And I think that's true for anyone who's starting their own business, whether you're trying to start a tech company like I did, or you're, you know, you want to open a restaurant. You have to be really passionate about the thing that, that, that you're doing. And that's the only way that you're actually going to persevere when it, Quite frankly, sucks and nothing really goes the way that you want it to. So, I think that's number one. Part one is finding out what your why is. And then, when stuff isn't working in year three and four, you sort of have to remind yourself of that why. And if you, I think for me, what I've done a, a pretty decent job is having these different milestones set in place. So, from the very beginning, I, you know, I, you have these lofty goals, you have these, you know, we call them BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. And like, what can this become in five or 10 years? And then re- rewind and work backwards from there and what are the milestones and what is the strategy to achieve each of those and i think for anyone who's starting a business an organization anything really you need to think about it from that perspective like what is the big hairy audacious goal of what you're trying to accomplish and then strategically rewind and think about it from uh okay what do i need to do in the next month three months six months and then you are more motivated because you're not thinking about oh what did i not do it's more what have i accomplished and how much closer am i towards that specific milestone goal
2: I love the BHAG. Is that yours?
0: No, no, this is uh, definitely not. Uh, this is something that I probably first experienced maybe like 10 years ago. There's some articles and videos about it. But the idea is it, it's, it's, a, it's an acronym. So Big Hairy Audacious Goal, BHAG. Yeah. And the concept, it's actually pretty funny if you think about it. So big, right? It needs to be really massive. And it needs to be hairy because that means it's like uncomfortable, if you think about it like hair is something that people in this context it just doesn't feel comfortable, so it has to be so big and so uncomfortable and audacious. And in this context, it means like if you were to tell someone this that you're going to do something in ten years, that they're just they're going to like laugh at you because it, how audacious of you to say something like that. So it needs to be in that regard. And of course, it's a goal and it's a smart goal. So a BHAG is something that is so audacious and messy. You don't even want to like think about context around it because it's so ludicrous. (laughs) And for you to achieve it would be really something special. And of course, there's another part of that, which is setting smart goals, which I know in in swimming is really well talked about. It's the concept of you know saying, I want to swim faster isn't really a smart goal, but I want to achieve a certain time, which will require a certain training regimen. And I'm going to do it by this time, having a realistic time bound expectation. So you have to have this BHAG but it has to be set on a time horizon. So in the next 10 years, we will do X, Y, Z. And that's, that's the result. So I think everyone should have a BHAG for whatever it is that they're working on.
2: Yes, I that's love it. So what about uh, obstacles? So we love stories and I'm sure that your graph chart that when I saw it, it's just going straight up through the roof. Um, I'm sure there were some obstacles you came across there. What, what would you say is the biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome to build this business and maybe a story w- with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of stories here. Uh we can you know, we could spend all day talking about some more interesting than others, but I think if we rewind, uh you know, the challenges now are a lot different than the challenges when you first get started and I think they'll continue to evolve. So, for example, you know, now the challenges are more around attracting the right talent, you know, hiring the right people and making sure we're strategically timing the right things and and stuff like that, Um, which is kind of boring because that's like any organization of any size, they have to deal with those problems. Uh, When you're first getting started though, which is probably more interesting if someone's trying to start a business, there's a lot of like self-doubt. There's a lot of the market maybe doesn't accept necessarily the timing or what it is exactly that you're doing. And so the balance of I had this really great idea and I'm trying to bring something to market, but you're either shy to put that in front of people or you've put it in front of people and you're hearing negative feedback. And so you have to balance, this is probably the hardest struggle initially for an entrepreneur, is balancing that your own internal intrinsic drive to put something into the market balanced with what the market feedback is. And so not everyone's going to like what you do. Not everyone's going to accept it. It's not going to get the traction that you like. And this is really challenging because Technically, the thing that you're building doesn't exist for a reason. It's probably really difficult to make it happen. Someone else already tried. They failed. Maybe there isn't any market demand. And so it's not really your decision to decide if the idea is good or not. That's the market's decision. So when you put something out in the market, you know, being able to listen to the right feedback from the right people and then stay motivated from that intrinsic motivation is probably the hardest part. And then on top of that, you're doing all of this and you're not getting any positive recognition in the world meaning like you're not making money most likely so you're you're kind of doing this all off of like the sweat equity as they say so you you have no money you're trying to make it work you're trying to hustle you you know you have progress maybe internally towards those milestones if you've set them but if you haven't set those milestones this can be even harder because you're trying to figure out like oh what do i do next and so that's really hard so i guess a fun story is in the very early days i'll kind of keep some of this uh I won't publicly share too much, but you can get the idea of what I'll explain. So had no money, you know, self-funding everything at this point and I need to need to make a business trip to uh undisclosed location. And I need to meet with a potential partner. And this is at the time we were barely just making any money, but I wasn't paying myself anything. And so I had to do this trip and I could only afford like the plane ticket to get to the location. And then I couldn't afford like the hotels. So I'm like, oh crap, I need to, it's like late kind of last minute thing. So I'm trying to find, so I go to Airbnb and everything's like booked in the days that I need to go because it's a big conference. And sure enough, I book a couch on Airbnb. I don't know if any of you guys knew that you could do this, but <laughs> you can you can actually book a couch. So I was like that desperate. I book a couch on Airbnb. I fly in. It was kind of sketchy. So I stay on the couch. I do the business stuff and then I fly out. And then it, it's sort of, I think that that resourcefulness, that grit has really cemented itself in the company because you know it's not fair to spend money where it doesn't need to be spent. So like I was at the bare minimum of like what's possible. So it's like literally like I was eating enough food, don't get me wrong, I wasn't like starving myself, but you know, trying to get the cheapest flight, cheapest accommodations, hustling to make it happen and sure enough good stuff came out of that. So I think that's just like an example of like the the hustle and the frugality that you need to exhibit if you're trying to be successful. And I think actually having more resources can be a huge uh, detriment to your company. Meaning if someone just hands you a sack of cash to go start a business or you have the resources too easily available to you, it actually makes you think um, you're going to be less strategic with what you have and less efficient with what you have. And I think our company is really efficient today because from the beginning, we didn't really have very much. And don't get me wrong. We're extremely fortunate and privileged in a lot of different things. So I speak with other entrepreneurs. They have a 10th of what we had when we got started and they're more successful than, than we are now. So I think, you know, that's a long winded way of saying, you know, the resourcefulness and hustle is real and it's not unique to anyone's story. And you just got to stick with it and, and fight the grind.
3: Hmm. I saw a Ted talk you did where you talked about this, but you, and talked about this long sort of 10 year to success, but you also said in the Ted talk that, you know, you got to know, when to quit, <laughs> you know. So, what? Tell me about some times when you've you this my swim pro is going great. What what are some things that you did that didn't go so well that you're not doing anymore? Maybe.
0: Sure. I think there's a lot of things that you have to retrospectively look at what you're doing and evaluate. And this is maybe the biggest mistake that we've made, other entrepreneurs make, is you wait too long to cut something off, whether it's a team member, like firing someone, mm. uh, product decision, marketing campaign. So for us, I mean, there's there's probably too many to count in terms of like, there's so many product features that we tried and they didn't work. And then we stopped working on those features. We allocated resources to other things. We've done marketing campaigns where we spent a decent chunk of money and we didn't really see anything come out of that. Um, we've hired people and I've had to let them go because same thing. It's like, this wasn't the right time. They weren't performing where we needed them to perform. So I think from every avenue, there's things that you need to take a pause and look at what we've done. And evaluate. And I think referencing to the TEDx talk that I gave, you know, it's you have to listen to the market. So I talked about this just a few minutes ago, where you have to balance your own intrinsic motivation and your own ideas with whatever the market is telling you. And so there's only so much, you know, brute force that you can apply, because at the end of the day, if the market doesn't want what you're creating, it's never going to work. And so if you don't, if you're too stubborn to kind of pivot your idea um, I don't think you necessarily need to like completely give up. A lot of people give up too early. So they'll think, oh, the market doesn't like it. I've tried this for three months. I guess I'll give up. It's like you haven't done anything yet. So you know, is it one year? Is it three years? I don't think there's a perfect answer for that. It's really a balance of you know, what is your intrinsic motivation and how much actual market validation have you actually done, meaning how, much, how many people have you actually talked to, shared your idea with? How many, how many customers have you been able to get? Like, if you haven't really put in the full amount of work, then you you really haven't done anything and you, you really have no right to give up and say the market didn't want it. Because most likely someone else can just come along. If they have the same motivation, intrinsics, uh, all that, they will be able to bring it to life because they just stuck with it longer than you did. And that's a, that's a reality that entrepreneurs, ourselves included, we have to think about. You know, how much time am I putting into this? How much... Effort and market validation. Do I think I have, and how much do I really need to have to keep it to keep it going?
2: Very good. What roles have mentors played in your success, if any? Any entrepreneur who
0: says they figured everything out on their own is lying. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Uh, you normally you, and I think what I've done well is surround myself with people who have certain domain expertise in certain things. I think for me, you know, rather than naming one specific mentor, um, for us it's. On the business side, I look at other successful entrepreneurs in our space. So who else has started a fitness app-related business? And there's a few of them out there, and I've been able to connect with them. And a lot of them are located outside the United States, and that's the power of technology. Whether they're in Europe or you know, different parts of the world, you can connect with these people, keep them updated, talk with them on the phone, video calls, and really learn from them. And we encourage each other. And then on the personal side, some of these are entrepreneurs, some are maybe swimmers, people that I've known for a long time in my life. And these are people that sort of keep you humble, keep you grounded. They've achieved success in their personal or business life in some way. And I think keeping them updated on what you're up to and then getting their feedback is really, really important. And I think when it comes to getting advice through mentors or advisors or something like that, it's really important for me and others, I think, to evaluate what is the context of this advice that someone's giving you. So even, you know, the advice that I'm, you know, leaving right now, it's like, what is my experience? Like, what is my context? Why am I giving the advice that I'm giving? And I think a lot of people will, and myself included initially, will evaluate everyone's advice equally. And every mentor and mentors are not created equal. You know, everyone has different experiences, different advice that they can uh, will upon you. And it's your job to identify who are the people that I want to be associated with there's that great uh, saying like you're a reflection of the five people you spend the most time around with or something like that. And that's totally true. So, you know, if you're if you're a solo entrepreneur or you're working on something on your own, it could be your immediate family members. And my family is very important to me. So they're definitely a part of that. It could be the people that you see at a co-working space or maybe it's mentors that you specifically seek out to be next to. And I think you know that's where hiring becomes so important because the people that you hire end up being one of those five people because you're spending the most amount of time with them. And so for me, I think it's a mix from mentorship of people that I've known from swimming world, from the business world, and also personal and family.
2: So we are talking heavy advanced technology here with creating a fitness app. I mean, that's just above a lot of people's pay grade, but technology is, it's just, it's paramount in today's society. We we need to work with it. We need to understand it. And I I think it's really exciting and cool that the combination of Katie Ledecki, Swimmer, and Technology have merged with her partnership or sponsorship from Panasonic, and she is promoting education for STEM, which is, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math for women. Tell us about your experience with. Women in technology and and this partnership that Katie's launching.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think um, if we take a look at a high level, the really exciting thing about technology is that it democratizes knowledge, and the accessibility is a lot different today than it was ten years ago, twenty years ago, hundred years ago. And you know, this technology changes lives. It helps. You know, it's curing diseases. It's improving the. You know, whether it's something like my Swim Pro or other you know medical related things. There's a lot of potential, and right now, it's not equal uh, men and women who are starting tech companies. It just, if you look at the facts, the number of engineers and all that, it's not equal. So there's a huge opportunity to bring that level of equality up because the impact is that much more exponential. Because right now, we're not really at a playing field where everyone's really maximizing the output, leveraging this technology. And I think as time goes on, and you know, hopefully with you know different partnerships like the one you mentioned with Katie and Panasonic. And empowering, I believe um, the STEM program, it's about reaching middle schools in like five new markets or something. And so that's awesome because it's bringing the power of technology and kind of leveling the playing field because right now it's not level. And you know this is like a huge problem in the tech world, Silicon Valley, all these companies have you know all these initiatives to try and improve upon this. I mean, if you look at any tech company, ours included, there's most likely more men than women. And so we're actively looking at how can we be more inclusive and not only in our, in our hiring, but even in our content that you see on the web to make sure that everyone is included and that everyone from a technology perspective is empowered and able to provide that kind of impact. Because at the end of the day, like that's why that's the power of technology is to provide that kind of impact. Fun story. I actually did a collaboration with Panasonic back like 12 and a half years ago, where I was part of, um, they had like this Panasonic living in high definition program. And so I won twenty thousand dollars in high tech stuff from okay. Panasonic. And so that company is definitely forward looking when it comes to this uh, type of things. And then when you take someone like Katie Ledecky, who has this kind of you know global persona in the sports world, and I believe Michael Faust was involved with this as well. So I think it, all of this is great, and it's really exciting to see where It will go.
3: It is. So I, the, the two times now that I've or three that I've that I've. Seen you and talked with you. You seem so uh, friendly and laid back and approachable, and it just made me think about what your strengths might be and what your weaknesses might be, and and how you bring those to your business.
0: So I think from when we will start with weaknesses first. So for me personally, uh, I, it's funny because I mentioned like the ten year window and <laughs> all that. So my patience is definitely something that is a weakness, and being able to of check myself and make sure that I don't come across too hard at certain times when it's not really warranted. For example, if we're working on something, it's just kind of the expectation of like, why isn't it done type of thing, which is good and bad. So it's good to have that type of urgency uh, through an organization. At the same time, not everyone has the same personality as me. And I think the strength of any leader, which I'm something I'm working on, is being able to evaluate, you know, like the Myers-Briggs. So like, what is my personality and the person I'm trying to communicate what is their personality? How do they receive feedback? And this is something that I'm continuously working on improving. I think on the strength side, it, maybe it comes through in the tone of voice. It just I have a lot of energy. I'm able to deliver that all the time, uh, and I, that's just what I lead with. I lead with my energy. I'm very uh, forward. I think that's a, that's a strength and a weakness potentially. I'm very direct. Whether it's feedback, you know, good, bad, and ugly, I'll just tell you. Uh, so that's that's definitely I think I think that falls more on the strength side because you don't waste time. Fiddling with with things, so that's my perspective. Other people, you know, think maybe similar or different.
3: Hmm, that's great.
2: In general, what do you think are some some characteristics of champions in general?
0: Okay, so this I thought about this, um, and what I have learned more and more, and I lean toward. Like if you asked me this ten years ago, I wouldn't have probably said what I'm about to say. I think great champions, leaders, people who have done something they have really great self-awareness, meaning they know what they're good at and they know what they're not good at. And because, because this is so important for when you're trying to recruit other people to help you build something, and any great champion has been able to do that. They're not, you know, no one is a solo show and they go through life and they just do everything on their own. No one ever helps them. They just kind of do everything. That's not how it works. So anyone who's achieved success in anything, they have a lot of people that help them. But if you have the right self-awareness then you know what kind of help that you need. And if you don't have very good self-awareness, like the question you asked about is strengths and weaknesses, and, under, and that could be from a personality perspective. It could also be from a skill perspective. So mm-hmm. if you know technology, if you know Photoshop, if you, if you have good sales skills, if you understand digital marketing or creative skills, so knowing what you're good at and doubling down on that and then looking for the right support in all the areas that you're not as good at because that is really the most efficient way to amplify whatever it is that you're doing. A lot of people, I think, get this wrong. They think, okay, what am I really good at? Awesome, I figured out a plan. Now I'm gonna go hire someone to do the thing that I'm really good at so I can just, I don't know, sit on a beach or something. That's actually the opposite of how I think it works where you should really double down on what you're really good at, finding your strengths, and then it, as soon as possible, once you've identified that, you you figure out who can help me with those. I think in swimming, actually, this is very relatable. So if you think about someone who can swim a lot of different events, you, know, you could spend time, on your worst event, but you're probably not going to go to the Olympics. And you know, if you're talking about elite level swimmer, you're not going to go to the Olympics in your worst event. And you're better off focusing on what you're really good at and have help and support and coaching for what you're not as good at if you're trying to train for the IM, That's just a swimming example. But that's I think it's self-awareness and all great champions have an incredible amount of self-awareness.
3: That's a great answer. And I don't think we've heard that before. So <laughs> I really like it. Uh, we've heard often competitiveness. Do you think that's important?
0: I do think that's really important. And I would say, um, maybe you guys have heard this, like there's, you know, is it better? Michael Phelps would always be quoted as like, he hates to lose more than he likes to win. And I think there's two sides of that. So some people would definitely fall in the, you know, wanna win category. And some people just hate to lose. Um, To be honest, I'm not, I think everyone has some level of each of those. Um, I might be more on the winning side than hate to lose. Like I would rather, maybe it's selfish. Like I'd rather like win and not worry about what other people are doing. Whereas others, they don't care about like that win. They just wanna make sure they're better than, and that's the competitiveness. So they just wanna make sure they're better than everyone else in whatever it is that they're doing. And I think that depends on the person. And that comes back to self-awareness because someone who is self-aware will know where they fall and someone who is not self-aware, they won't know and they'll just kind of fiddle their way through that that concept.
3: Mm. Yeah, they, they talk about in psychology, the rewards of success versus the fear of failure. And and supposedly the rewards of success is a, is a more potent motivation, but you know, I'm definitely a fear of failure type. <laughs> so I think that's interesting that you, you put it out that way. That's very good.
2: Well, Ferris, I, I literally, we could talk to you all day. I want to dive a little little into the sport of swimming. And we do have swimmers that listen, a lot of swimmers, but we have some non-swimmers. And so I loved you wrote an article for US Master Swimming that was truly one of my favorite articles I've ever read and I just want to have you kind of touch on the high points of that article and and if you can't remember everything in it but why people should swim even if they're not swimmers just maybe buy your first cap and goggles go down to the pool you know, you and I love swimming. We love to swim. And I, I had, you know, I set you the question, what is the very best thing you love about swimming? But that article for me said it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that you liked the article. I did. Uh, so the article that you, that's referenced here, it's 11 things swimmers can be thankful for. I, for, I think it was around Thanksgiving. So it's time of giving thanks and appreciation. Um, and so the article mentioned, you know, you can thank your swim coaches, your teammates, getting a great workout in. I think sunrises was one of those, because if you're a swimmer, maybe you're up before a lot of the, the crowd and you get to see, I mean, to be honest, I've seen so many more sunrises than people my age. Like I don't, I'm, I wish there was like a ticker and the opportunity, <laughs> the opportunity Yeah, the opportunity, I mean, the opportunity to be around people who have a shared passion and see these sunrises, that's all great. Um, I think for me, kind of leading into that next question of like, For me, what do I like about swimming and why do I think people should do it? And it was in the article. It's like the meditative escape of the water. And it's that feeling of weightlessness you get when you swim. So, you know, any form of fitness, you're going to have endorphins. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get that pump, that euphoria feeling afterwards. But in swimming, because you're in the water, it's a medium that's 800 times more dense than air. At the same time, it's zero gravity. So you can kind of escape from the world. And so, like, for example, when I go to the gym and I do, like, a weightlifting workout... I still have my phone with me, you know, I might see people I know, I say, what's up? And I kind of, there's a lot of other things that can interact with me in that environment that can kind of throw me off. And I'm not, it's really difficult for me, even if I listen to music to be 100% zoned in when I lift weights versus swimming, you just have this connection with the water and everything else is not really important. And even if you're swimming with a master's group and like with other people, when you push off the wall or you're floating you're not talking to anyone. I feel like you're in your own world, you know, you're whether you're outside or inside, you have this medium that's, in. you know, your body is encased in it. And so that connection with the water is something that you don't get doing any other kind of physical activity. So of course in swimming, it's, you know, it's low impact. So it's going to be good on your joints. You can do it your entire life from, they say from cradle to grave. So there's all these obviously health benefits with swimming, but I think that combined with the mental aspect of how it's so great for your body, it's so great for your mind is why I is how I and why I encourage people to pick up swimming.
2: Yes. And and I always I don't even think it was in your article, but I love that it's kind of a combo free shower. Like you you know, if you <laughs> go work out, then then you <laughs> you're already showered. Like when I do a run, I might sit around and eat dinner and then go, Oh, I got a shower, but you're automatically going to be showered too, which is another
3: Every swim work at it, you end up clean. I love it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, um,
2: okay, two more quick questions. One is, um, what are you most excited about for, for the future, Ferris?
0: I am really excited that the sport of swimming is growing and the age of technology is amplifying a lot of what's already happening. So if you think about, and we can thank you know certain figures like a Michael Phelps for making it more, swimming more mainstream and bringing that perspective to the sport. But if we look at where we are today, and where we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago for the sport of swimming, and of course our business is at the intersection of, of all of this stuff, there's a lot of development that's happened a lot faster compared to the 20 years prior to that. And as we are in an Olympic year, you know, Tokyo is coming up, and there's a lot of opportunity for on the business side. But also to get more people into swimming, which is all the great benefits that we just talked about. Like, we're gonna have a lot more people get into swimming, reconnect, feel more empowered. Like, even if someone already swims this year, when they see it on TV and when they see all of this cool stuff happening and innovation, whether it's My Swim Pro or other companies, they feel more empowered to do what they're already doing. And maybe they'll bring other people around with them because, you know, for me and for us, for others, there's only so much you can do on your own. And if you can build a platform that empowers others to empower, then you can amplify significantly what you're trying to achieve. And I think at MySwimPro, that is what we're trying to do. We're trying to empower the existing community, make them feel associated and connected with something. And if we look at today in 2020 and what it will be in 2030, I think that will be only amplified compared to looking at what the last 10 years was. So we're at a really interesting point at the intersection of technology, swimming, media, and the perception of the world around what we're doing.
3: I like how you're promoting, you know, not just what you're doing, but swimming in general. I think that your why is is of course gonna help you to succeed because it's so much bigger than just being successful. What advice would you give to someone who wants to launch a new business or a new swim routine? And would those two things be different pieces of advice?
0: Oh, I, I think they would be different. So if we talk about the, let's talk about the, the boring one, the business one first, because I think the swimming is more interesting, but we'll talk about business. So if you're starting something new, whether it's an organization, a company, whatever, you need to focus on solving the problem, not whatever the solution is. So people get uh, addicted and stuck to whatever their idea, their solution is, but you need to stay close to the problem that you're trying to solve. Like why, why, what is this, what point of this idea and if you can ground yourself in helping solve that problem, it's gonna be way more efficient to actually finding success, whatever that success may be. It could be making money at the end. It could be ideally, it should be solving the problem that you initially are starting the company or organization in the first place. So there's some unmet need, and it's your job as the entrepreneur to figure out what the solution is. But you can't start with the solution and figure out what the problem is. That's the opposite of how it works. So I think that's you know that that one lasting piece of advice is focus on the problem, listen to the people that you're trying to help, and deliver it to those people, and kind of ignore everyone else. And on the swimming side, if you're trying to I guess get into swimming or for the first time, uh, first of all, download MySwim Pro. That's number one. Uh, and then you know I think it's setting a smart goal for yourself. And we created I created a whole bunch of videos that are online about setting smart goals as it re- relates to swimming, and just saying. I want to get into swimming or I want to start swimming again is not a smart goal. The smart goal is, you know, I am going to start, I already have a, I'm going to sign up for a pool. Step one, I'm going to go next Monday, February, whatever day it is. And I'm going to follow the my Swim pro training plan, three workouts per week that has a specific goal to it. And at the end of six weeks or 12 weeks, whatever plan that you pick, you will have achieved X, Y, and Z. And that's really the best advice is finding what your smart goal is and making sure it's not like, you know, New Year's resolutions is the biggest example of failed goals because people don't set smart goals. They're like, I'm going to sign up for a gym membership or I'm going to start swimming again. And that's it. It kind of ends there. And really part two, the more important part is figuring out like what is, you know, how are you going to actually achieve that goal? And it starts with having like a measurable time bound specific thing that you're working towards and the my Swim pro app is a great way to do
2: that absolutely i think that is a great place to end this interview and ferris we so appreciate your time I, sure I do. Have, i'm so motivated and ready to go ready to go <laughs> both both in my business and swimming yay thanks
0: again maria kelly i really appreciate you guys having me on the show yes
2: thank you so much ferris well, Maria, there is no doubt why Ferris is so successful.
3: <laughs> That's right. He's he's a pro. And I mean that all the way down. He's, he's so amazing and thoughtful. And um, yeah, that was a great interview.
2: Yeah. The, and there are a lot of takeaways there. But as usual, we are just going to do two takeaways each. Takeaways, takeaways, takeaways. We've heard from you that your favorite section of our podcast is the takeaways. Thank you so much for that feedback. But before we get to the takeaways today, we wanted to ask you if you would please give us a five-star review. That way, more people will be able to find our podcast. Also, if you could subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, you'll never miss a podcast episode if you subscribe. And please share our podcast with your friends.
3: And now the takeaways, the takeaway that was really spoke to me to begin with was to know your why I think this is, you know, we've talked about this. This is not a new idea, but it, it never hurts to remind yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is, you know, what is at the core of this? And, uh, he had done, um, a video of, of the state of his company and, yeah, that's where he started. What are we doing in this company? And I think that's really important, not just for your business, but for your life. What? It's its like, what? who are you? What's your why? Why do you exist? Why were you created? So reminding, and you can do that periodically. You can helicopter up and look at it. But I think you should also just remind yourself every day and keep you out of the weeds a little bit. What do you think, Kelly?
2: Yes, yes. I, I think you can apply it to anything you do. Like from yeah. the big huge things to the little things, so yeah, I love the why, love, 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 and that is a great one to tie into my first one, which I just I I had I had never heard it, and he didn't say it was original, but I loved the bee hags and how he described them—big, hairy, audacious goals—and I think what made you know and. Tony Robbins has said this, that, you know, a lot of the motivational people is you've got to have a gigantic goal to kind of get you out of bed, get you motivated, really wake you up in the morning and, and make you be passionate, the bigger the goal. And then the old saying, you know, shoot for the moon and you'll hit the stars. And I feel like that that's really important that you you need to have a goal that is just people are just going to say, are you out of your mind? You can't do that. You know, so I love that. But I I liked the addition of starting at the big hairy goal and then backing up with milestones because, you know, you could look like a gigantic failure if you're just shooting for this big goal and you don't have any stepping stones on the way. And I've always thought of milestones as stepping stones, you know, that this is where I'm going to be in three months and this is where I'm going to be in six months and nine months and a year. And so I think that was a great one that I loved was having a big goal, but also having those milestones. So when you cross them, you're still feeling successful on your way to that big, gigantic goal.
3: Yeah, I I we've talked about this in other ways, but I love the acronym Big, hairy, audacious goals. And the whole point of that is that when you think about it, it's going to make your heart beat. It's going to make you, it's going to fill your chest. (laughs) If you think about yourself doing whatever it is that's so audacious, it's going to, It's like you said, it's going to motivate you. But then, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't, that, that doesn't get you. You know, boiling the water. You know, it doesn't get you doing the the little gritty details of what you have to do to get there. So, yeah, great, great. um, You know, related to the why, as you said. And my second takeaway, again, so hard to choose, but I was very motivated by his little story of early on having to fly someplace to get to uh, find an investor or something, and not having enough money to both have the ticket and to stay in a hotel. So he basically um, was just sleeping on a couch, barely sleeping. And he made the point that he didn't have the resources, so it made him creative. And I think this is really important. We can think of our limitations as bad, but they're really good. They, They make you think outside the box, think creatively. There's a beautiful book called beautiful constraints and that's the whole subject of the book it's like you know we can if you know how am i going to get to this to this investor even though i don't have enough money well i can if i find somebody's couch to stay on if i spend the money on the on the cheap ticket i you know so it's so you ask yourself these questions how can i get there we can if and it helps you to be creative and 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 think of new ways around um around problems so i i love the idea of thinking of your limitations, your grittiness as something positive in your life and your business and your goals.
2: Yes. Yes. And, you know, creativity is one of my top five signature strengths. And I feel like it does make you creative when you don't have the resources, no matter what, like even just making dinner. If you don't have a whole pantry full of food, but you have a, you know, a (laughs) can of beans and a Onion. Well, then you're having, you know, beans and onions. Your mom,
3: your mom was so good at that. I love that. We call it making rock soup because you just whatever's there. She would, you know, I'd be looking in the fridge. There is nothing there, and she would create the most beautiful meals out of whatever. So yeah, that's where you got your creativity, Kelly.
2: Yeah. So less resources may be better in some cases for the helps you be creative. Yeah. So my second one, which. I don't think we've heard from any other guests but certainly is a is a standard of performance that I've I've heard from many many champions which Ferris is, is the five people that you surround yourself are the ones that you become the most like. They actually say that your five closest friends are your uh, the average net worth of your five closest friends is probably your net worth and that's that's in you know, wealth creation circles. And I'm sure it's the same with entrepreneurialism or with discipline
3: or with- Or spirituality or whatever, right? Absolutely.
2: Spirituality, whatever, that the people that you are within your, you know, your circle, your five closest people to you, and they don't, maybe don't even have to be friends. It could be your spouse and your parent, or, you know, there was a a while there where the only people that I saw- were my mother and my father and my husband. It was just like that time, you know, when I was living in Virginia taking care of my mom and dad and you know, it was it was tough because they you know, my mom and dad were in a bad place um and they, they what they weren't lifting me up and then my husband wasn't happy because he wasn't home. So the three people that were around me it was a, it was a hard time. So I think you know, you need people that are going to be emotionally up that are going to be supporting you. So I just, I think the five people rule around you is a good one. So look yeah, for those. Yeah.
3: I think being intentional about that is important. We, we tend to just say, oh, well, you know, my friends are my friends or whatever. My family is my family. Of course that's true, but you can choose to surround yourself with people that you want to grow to be like.
2: Yes, absolutely. And, and, and seek them out. I mean, I think I've like reached out to friends that I may not have seen in a while because they say we all need four really good friends. Like, you know, Hey, I need to reconnect with you. I need to be friends yeah. with you. So I think that's yeah, great. That's great. Well, we could go on, but as we always say, we hope you listen to the entire interview with Ferris. That was, you know, there was a lot there and really, really, I learned a lot and I, it was highly motivating to me as an entrepreneur and as, as, um, you know, just to try to be more champion-like and Ferris is succeeding at the highest level of his craft. Well, there's another great interview and Maria, love you so much. Love you too, Kelly. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
1: This week's quote of the week comes to us from Ferris Sabati. Resourcefulness and hustle are real and not unique to anyone's success. You've just got to stick with it and fight the grind. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast, designed to make you feel inspired, motivated, and educated. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Also visit championsmojo.com to learn
2: more.